Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Jacked ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. From Wondery and Universal Music Group, this is a special episode of Jacked. Can you jack swing? Yes, it's something funky that you can swing. All you gotta do is come on and sing. One, two, three. I may do jack swing. I'm Carla Hall, and I'm just psyched beyond words to take over from the great Taraji P. Henson. You may know me as a Top Chef finalist, a host on ABC's The Chew, and hopefully from my Wondery podcast, Say Yes. What you probably don't know is that New Jack Swing music was my damn near everything during and after college in the late 80s and 90s, and it has stuck with me my whole life. I will still bust out guy on a Friday night. I still bounce in place a little when they start bumping my prerogative at Trader Joe's. And judging by the responses to this show, same goes for a lot of you. But also, like a lot of you, when I started listening to this series, I weirdly knew next to nothing about the music that's meant so much to me. For a genre that basically paved the way for everything we call pop music today, not a ton's been written about it. So hearing it jacked has been an education. And the people who worked on this show will tell you the same thing. They all learned a lot. So much, they couldn't fit it all into six episodes. Like for instance, you've been hearing this tune throughout the show. Heavy D and the boys, Mr. Big Stuff. Well, unlike most folks we talked to on Jack, Heavy D didn't hail from Harlem. He was from Mount Vernon, a suburb just north of the Bronx. And so were a bunch of other major New Jack artists whose stories we didn't get to tell you. So today... We're going to make up for that, because you're about to hear my conversation with Kyle West. He was raised in Mount Vernon from age nine and wound up producing one of the biggest New Jack records of all time from another Vernon act, Al B. Shore. His debut LP, In Effect Mode, generated five hit singles, spent seven weeks at the top of the Billboard R&B charts, and earned him a Grammy nomination. Kyle's going to tell us about his Mount Vernon crew, how Al's multi-platinum debut came to be, and what it was like to be a part of the early days of Andre Harrell's legendary label, Uptown Records. And we also just get to reminisce about great music of the 80s and 90s. Tough job, but somebody's got to do it. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Jack Swing. 
All right, Kyle West. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you guys for having me. I'm 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 honored. Thank you very much. Now I'm honored. I feel like you're taking me down back down memory lane. So I'm just going to jump right in. And for those of us who don't know, tell us about Mount Vernon. Like, what was it like in the mid '80s when you were there as a teen? Wow. Uh, you know, it, it's the, the interesting thing about Mount Vernon was we all there's only one high school you know there so we're all in one place we kind of grew up together and then all of a sudden you know the first one was heavy d you know heavy d got a record deal and then everybody in mount vernon thought they could do the same thing you know and um people you went to you know class with and everything everyone is now making their demos and uh my cousin, which was Albie Shore, is Albie Shore. Um, we decided to to do what everyone else was doing and um, make our demos. And it was a very creative time there. And uh, Eddie F., who was the DJ for um, for uh, uh, Heavy D, he brought us to his manager, and which was Andre Harrell, uh, God rest his soul, uh, uptown. And that's how we kind of got things going here in Mount Vernon. You know, between Heavy D and Albie Shore, that was it was so much excitement here and so much promise. And um, it was a very exciting time here in the late 80s, mid to late 80s. But your mom and dad were both originally from Harlem. So you, you spent time there, too, visiting family. So what was Harlem like in comparison to Mount Vernon at that time? Yes, my, my, both my parents are from Harlem. And, uh, you know, we would go, you know, see the grandparents and, you know, that that cultural energy of, of New York City and and of, of the culture of the black people up in, you know, uptown, which is Harlem. Um, you know, there wasn't a lot of money flashing around, but just the pride of the culture, the creative culture, uh, the music, the books, um, the, the basketball, the clothing, everything was right. That's where it all started, right there in Harlem. And then um you know, then you go, you know, 20 minutes north to Westchester County, which is where Mount Vernon, New York is. And it's totally different. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, houses, trees and grass and lawns and lawnmowers. You know, we just there's none of that going on in Harlem. So it was it was totally different, totally different. Teddy Riley's early hip hop productions were getting popular in the mid 80s. What was the first one you remember hearing? Like, where were you? Wow. Um, I remember a record. Um, it was a rap record. It was called Rap's New Generation. And that was the first record that I remember that had this, this, had this distinct sound. Then closely after that, um, uh, what was it? Dougie Fresh. Uh, and and Slick Rick did a record called The Show, which was a huge oh. record, huge record, huge record. And again, it was that sound, it was that same sound. Didn't know who the producer was. But when you did your homework and you said, wait, but this record sounds like this record. Then you said, it's got to be the same guy. And um, it was this young, young boy in Harlem. And um, it was Teddy. It was Teddy Riley. What was the sound? I mean, you're saying that sound. I mean, what sounded different about it? Uh, it, it it's hard to put your finger on it, but it just sounded different. I guess the other records, especially when you hear them today, they kind of sounded a little, um, oh, wow, just more basic. It wasn't, you know, you, you had, a, you had a, a vibe going, but nothing musically stood out. I mean... Run DMC, their, their record stood out that, you know, Jay, God rest his soul, had a great sound. But here was a guy who was mixing the street and music. There was something musical also. And the drums would hit, the, the way, the, you know, Teddy would program his drums. Everything about his records just just stood out differently from the 80, 85% of the other records that were out at the time, you know. And you really had to, to, you know, and we weren't really looking at the back of records back in those days. Let's face it. We were, you know, between 15 and 20 years old at this time. We weren't reading the back credits back then. 
but there were certain records you knew had to be done by the same guy. And and then rap, these rap artists, they were shouting out, you know, the producers on their records. So that's how you kind of knew who was making what. And um, that name just stuck, you know, stood out, Teddy Riley. So what else were you and your Mount Vernon friends listening to in the mid-80s? I mean, what were your influences? Well, for me, I mean, I was a musical child. I, I grew up, you know, my parents, my father played music. He was a musician. So I kind of tended to gravitate to musical producers. Um, in the 70s, it was, you know, Quincy Jones Productions. You know, those his records sounded like events. There was so much going on, so many layers. And then in the 80s, uh, you know, Jimmy and Terry. You know, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, they put an aggressiveness to their musicality. You know, it wasn't natural like a, like a, a, a Earth, Wind & Fire record or, you know, uh, a Barry White record. You, you could hear the machines, the tightness, you know, it wasn't a, a live band. But just the musicality and the layering that Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis did that's what kind of helped me get my style, you know, being able to make it sound orchestral, but still musical and still aggressive. So I listened to, you know, Loose Ends and uh, Michael Jackson, of course. And uh, but a lot of the, the Jimmy Jam and the, the Taboo records, you know, Clarence Avant's label and all those productions, Alexander O'Neill and Sherelle and the SOS band. That was my thing. Putting all that together was how I learned to do what I what I do. Okay, as you're mentioning all of those bands, I'm like, yes, oh my god, yes, yes, yes. oh my god, them. yes. <laughs> I mean, oh, that's all you needed for a party, okay? Exactly. <laughs> well, you mentioned you mentioned some of the who's who, um, who would, who would eventually become the new Jack acts that you went to school with, and then you mentioned Heavy D. So, what kind of guy was Heavy D? Oh, Heavy was a lovable teddy bear, you know. Uh, he was a few grades below me, but uh, just everywhere, you know, he was the, the big six foot three, heavy set guy. And um, he made friends so easily. His personality was huge. Um, if, if we didn't see him doing what he did accomplish as a musician, he was going to be doing something with his personality. He, he had that back then. Just a lovable guy, was always smiling. He was good to his friends, good to his family. A uh, really, really, really special guy. So describe describe his early shows when he wasn't well known. Well, definitely call it his. It, you know, again, the producer. You know, he he did work with Teddy, uh, but Eddie F. You know, I've I've known Eddie since eighth grade, and um, Eddie had his own sound. You know, wasn't as musical as Teddy's, but he was the connoisseur of drums. You know, Eddie F. had every drum machine ever made. So he made sure he created a, a, a unique sound also with his records. So between Heavy working with Teddy and Teddy Riley and Eddie F., he, he, he was made. You know, he was going to definitely, you know, go somewhere. So um, his shows, again, I think, he was able to command the stage. So when people saw him up there, you know, a little overweight, he was so comfortable, you know, he moved, he moved so smooth for his size that people could key in on his confidence as an artist. And that's what they loved about him. So I, I think he, early on, you know, the artists that were out there, you know, at the time, LL and all that, they, they loved him. They, they support, they were bigger than him. And they, they would definitely vouch for him any day. And that's what helped Heavy and Uptown as a whole, as a company, come on, get on. Because um, everything that was starting with Hev, that's where, you know, you could see that this company and the artists and the producers, they were very confident and very good at what they did. I, I remember seeing videos of Heavy D. And this was a big guy who was light on his feet. There is nothing, on his, as a woman, there is nothing sexier than seeing a big guy with twinkle toes. <laughs> that was that was definitely heavy, Carla. You know, he he. Um, 
again, he owned it. He and this was this went way back to high school. He was always so confident in who he was and what he was, and that's what we love about him. I, I just love that. I love that. <laughs> uh, so what brings us to you getting involved in the scene? Tell us about how you started working with Al B. Shore. Well, I, as I said before, I was, a, you know, I was a musician as a child, and I pretty much quit when I got into high school, junior, even junior high school. I just wanted, wanted to be an athlete, didn't want to be in the music anymore. And Al B. Shore is my younger cousin. So when he came to live with us for his high school years, um, we kind of dabbled in the music. You know, we had my father had all the, the instruments. Uh, we dabbled and played around. You know, we had some DJs come over and do some stuff. But once Heavy got into it, that's when Al B. Shore said, you know, Kyle, we really need to do this. Um, we need to go after this. Problem was, I was already in college. I was way down in Louisiana, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I went to LSU, go Tigers. And I'm like, I'm not here. I, I, how are we going to do this? So when I would come home on Christmas break and summer breaks and stuff, uh, it was only pretty much one summer we said, look, let's let's make these demos. And uh, it was Al just put, he just got out of high school, just pushing and pushing and pushing. And I had all this music already recorded. And um, you know what? He, he would first, he was rapping because he wanted to be, you know, he was a rapper first. And um, I said, look, I can't help you with that. I don't know anything about, I'm a musician. I don't, I don't know anything about rap. And um, he quickly learned and taught himself how to write and write lyrics and arrange. I mean, he did all this on his own. And this is an 18 year old kid. And um, I went back to school for one semester. And by the time I came back, him and Eddie F said, look, my manager wants to meet you guys. You know, and that quickly, this happened pretty quick. And all of a sudden we met Andre Harrell up at um, Uptown uh, Enterprises. And uh, he liked what we had and how we structured and how we kind of all worked together. You know, again, Teddy Riley and, and Eddie F were, were involved. And uh, we put together what we did and, you know, God took care of the rest. To all my foot, back, and knee pain sufferers, this one's for you. Check out G-Defy, a modern footwear company on a mission to relieve knee, back, and foot pain. Every pair comes with two free custom orthotics to align your body perfectly. And their patented VersoShock trampoline technology in the heel absorbs harmful shocks and provides positive, renewed energy empowering you to tackle your day. Don't just take my word for it. Read the countless customer reviews raving about the pain relief and amazing comfort they have experienced with G-Defy shoes. Experience pain-free living for yourself and visit gdefy.com, that's G-D-E-F-Y.com, and use code PODCAST30 to receive $30 off your order of $100 or more. It's all a lighthearted nightmare on our podcast, Morbid. We're your hosts. I'm Alina Urquhart. And I'm Ash Kelly. And our show is part true crime, part spooky, and part comedy. The stories we cover are well-researched. He claimed and confessed to officially killing up to 28 people. With a touch of humor. I'd just like sure. to go ahead and say that if there's no band called Malevolent Deity, that is pretty great. A dash of sarcasm and just garnished a bit with a little bit of cursing. This motherfucker lied like a liar like a liar and if you're a weirdo like us and love to cozy up to a creepy tale of the paranormal or you love to hop in the way back machine and dissect the details of some of history's most notorious crimes you should tune in to our podcast morbid follow morbid on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen to episodes early and ad free by joining wondery plus in the wondery app or on apple podcasts When we think about New Jack and bringing these, the R&B and the hip hop and marrying those two, uh, and at the same time, Teddy and Timmy Gatlin and Guy, they were also fusing the two genres down in Harlem. So why do you think that all of a sudden musicians were willing to put the two together when before it was never the twain shall meet? Exactly. 
I think the music scene at that time, the mid eighties, you know, there was a movement that was happening. And um, this was all started, you know, with, with Russell Simmons and Def Jam. And you can just feel this, this energy of the youth and the urban music coming back. And uh, you, we were, I think at that time, musically, we were willing to take some chances in the music industry. Um, you know, Jimmy and Terry were doing things more youthful, but it just what it didn't represent, maybe not represent the hood, but it was definitely different from the 70s. So I think those producers, uh, you know, Teddy and, and, and Full Force, those guys, they took it upon themselves to say, look, we're going to now make music for the streets. And um, that that's, I think, what really, especially with rap on top, mu- musically, things just got a little bit more raw and more aggressive. And then when you were making stars with this music, then we couldn't be stopped. That generation just could not be stopped. Tell us about meeting Andre for the first time. Carla, it was funny because, again, I was in college. So I came home for Christmas and I'm telling my cousin, I'll be sure. I'm like, Al, I got to go back to school in like three days. Where's this guy? You know, where's this Andre guy? And it was late one night. He just picked up the phone. He said, Yo, Andre, you got to meet my cousin. He's leaving. He doesn't think this is real. So the, Andre said, you guys come down to the studio the next day. And we take the subway and we're supposed to meet him at one building and Andre's not there. We got to get back on the subway and go to another studio. And we finally meet him. He's, well, I finally met him. I'll be sure already knew, knew him. And I met him at a studio and he was with Molly Mall and they were cutting the Uptown's Kicking It album. And, um, you know, Andre was, is, was smooth. He was the smooth. He's not going to jump up and down about you. He's just going to give you enough. And he said, you know, I, I like what you guys are doing. I think you guys got something special, and um, I want to do something with this. That's all he said. And I ran home and told my parents, oh, Mom, I'm, I want to leave school. I got to leave school. We're going to be big. <laughs> and Andre didn't say all that, you know. But Andre said, I think we got something here that I want, I want you guys to work on. All right. And that was it. So then Andre apparently brings in none other than Teddy Riley to help you and Al polish the record, right? And you all Correct. work on the music together at Teddy's studio in his mom's place in the project, Absolutely. which we've heard so much about. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so tell us about your first day working with him there. That was an event in itself. Um, now, he's, now, he's from Harlem, so I'm familiar. You know, my, both my grandparents live in Harlem. So we go down on a Sunday. Um, and uh, we go down, and we got our little parking spot, and... You know, you know, I hopefully tell you, listen, this is what Teddy, you know, Teddy told his sister, we ain't, you know, he wasn't home. We're like, wait a minute. We just came from Westchester County, <laughs> you know? So we get there 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. And, uh, we walk back to the car. We don't, we don't know this Teddy guy. And, and my, I'll be sure something else. Al goes, wait, we saw all the church ladies. If you know Harlem Sunday, it's church, uh-huh. it's church morning, you know? And, and Al sees his wait. That's Teddy's mother right there. So he jumps out the car. And he goes, hey, Miss Riley. And her mother probably didn't know who Al was. But she said, oh, hey, girl. Hey, hey, boy, how you doing? Blah, blah, blah. So he goes, oh, come on. So we follow his mother back to the apartment. <laughs> and she goes, yeah, Teddy said he ain't. He goes, what do you mean, Teddy? Teddy's here? And his mother goes in and sees Teddy in the back. I said, what you tell these boys for? You ain't here, you know? So that's how we meet him. We're like, oh, boy, this is going to be interesting. And, you know, we, we, we work with him. And, I mean, the talent that this young man had already at 18, you know, was, was incredible. And he took our demo and just he just changed it around and gave it an identity. You know, our songwriting and my production, fine. We know how to make a record. We were st- we know, But he gave it an identity. Mm-hmm. And that's when we knew that, okay, this this is something that, you're not hearing on the radio yet, but this is something really. Teddy was excited. I was excited. And when we drove it down to Brooklyn the next day to bring it down to up to uh, Andre, and he just said, well, we got something here. 
tell me about the story about all of the activity and all the people in and out of Teddy's place, which is probably why his mother knew that. They knew how much <laughs> work he was doing and people in and out. Um, what happened in the midst of you all trying to get Teddy to, to hear your record? Did somebody come in? Did he lay some tracks for somebody else? Or Carla, he did. What was going on? This says a lot about Teddy, too, is that he was this gifted musician. And, you know, he's a young, a young, he's a teenager. And he knows he has something special. I think his, his neighborhood also knew he was special. And anyone that wanted to come in to record, who thought they had talent, Teddy opened up, his, his mother opened up the door to say, well, come on in, let, let, let's check it out. You know, that was the, he didn't push anybody away. And then, of course, he's going to sift out the real special ones. And there were, you know, uh, there was a guy named Omar Chandler was, came in when we were working. Uh, I only met him a, a handful of times, but I think he was like a construction worker. And on his lunch break, he would come and do his demo. And he was that good that he could do it that quick. And I think that was, the, looking back now, I mean, look, I didn't see it then, but looking back now, that was absolutely beautiful because you didn't know who there was a diamond in the rough that he mm. was going to, you know, discover. So I know Andre Harrell thought the big hit on that first I'll Be Sure album was going to be a song called Off On Your Own Girl. But Teddy thought that it was going to be another song. So tell us about that. Well, we when we went to record with, with Teddy, that's exactly, that was the record that we went to demo with him, is Off On Your Own. And uh, we spent good six, seven, eight hours on it, came out really good. And it was Teddy who asked Al, he said, what about that other record? And I'm looking at Al, like, what other record he's talking about? And um, the Al started singing the hook a little bit, and then Teddy called it the Michael Jackson record. That's what, because there was no title yet. He goes, that Michael Jackson record. <laughs> he said, that, he goes, that record is going to be great. I said, what record? I said, oh, no, 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 that's not even done yet. He goes, that record is going to be really good. and. Um, me and Al, we didn't even demo that. We went to the studio, went to the studio, and we rec demoed it, in, and it was incredible. It was incredible. So he believed the night and day before Teddy did, before anybody even really heard it. Then once we put it together, then Andre could see the vision, the, the smoothness, the you know the uh, falsetto voice. Um, every, he could now see the movie after hearing the finished version of Night and Day. All right, so dude, I got to tell you, so that song was blowing up. It was it everywhere in 88, 89. It's the kind of tune that people remember from their proms. I remember because I was yes. out of college and it was like the jam. Um, yes. <laughs> so what's your favorite story about encountering it like out of the wild so to speak when you were like when you caught up when everybody caught up with what teddy saw now i'm call i'm gonna be i'm gonna be honest we we were working in one studio you know andre was paying for it he had teddy as the producer i was the co-producer and you know we were working in this 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 cool studio and this, i was chunking you know legendary studio one day Al, Al doesn't even show up. But where the heck is he? He's like uptown in, in, in Midtown at this like really good studio, unique studio. It's giving him a shout out. And he's working, he's working on something else. He's like, Yo, come here, come here. We're gonna, we're gonna so we did that first demo by ourselves. Mm. You know, we he, you know, he we did a little drum stuff and some keyboard stuff and we, you know, he asked this guy who was working, you know, who worked at the studio if he could just squeeze in there. And we went at like eight o'clock in the morning before anybody really got there. And we put the basics for night and day down just us two. And um, we're like, whoa, this this is sounding a little different than we expected because it became it was less aggressive, but it was more pop. And we didn't know that was going to happen. So it became kind of like a pop. R&B hybrid thing that we didn't see coming. Then we said, okay, go. If, if it sounds like this, boy, wait till Teddy gets on this and makes it urban, you know? And he did his thing and it, it, it took on another life, Carla, but 
the pop hybrid thing kind of worked better, you know, with no disrespect to Teddy. And I think Andre was like, no, 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 no. I could see this was this was Andre Harrell's vision is that he could hear a record. And he can envision what magazine you're going to be in, what clothes you're going to wear, where the video is going to be shot. That was Andre Harrell's magic. So all of a sudden, his vision changed when he heard what me and Al did in the studio alone. I said, wait a minute, I, I didn't, I'm not, this isn't even my space. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hood. This ain't hood now. See, that was y'all bringing that Mount Vernon to Harlem. That was you bringing the grass. <laughs> To the, Carla, like, you hit it on the nose. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Bringing that grass yes. to Harlem. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, yes, it, it, was, it was a little bit more orchestra. And again, we didn't do this on purpose. We didn't know what the heck we were doing. But it just became smoother and softer and more pop. And then I'm going to give a shout out to Roe Shamir, who was the engineer. And, um, you know, he was a guy who could bang your head in with, with he mixed Run DMC. But then he can do smooth, too. And he kind of mixed it together and he would do his tricks. And the record became something totally different. Andre said, oh, no, I'm switching, changing the plans here. I'm going to Warner Brothers. I'm, I'm not going to New York. I'm going to L.A. I'm going to give it to this guy, you know, who was Benny Medina. It's a whole new movie now. Wow. And that, 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 that happened by accident. We didn't go out to do that. You know, Eddie F was there with his, he would help us with drums and stuff. And it, that's, that was the talent of Andre where he quickly just saw something different and he didn't put out cause Al didn't fit in that hood, you know, wearing boots and riding in Suzuki Jeeps kind of thing. He was like, no, you won't be in Lamborghinis and Ferraris, you know, you know, wearing $2,000 suits. And that's where, that's what Andre, that was where he brought his, his magic, and uh, he just repackaged. That record helped repackage Al. So how did the Harlem musicians feel about you guys from Mountain Vernon? Now that you have this grassy, I mean, it's, it's clearly different. Yes. They looked at us as being a little softer, you know. We grew up in houses, and, uh, you, know, we, we, you know, we had mom and, or dad's car to drive, 18, 19, they're like, you know, you guys don't know the grind. Y'all can't write or create anything that's hard because y'all ain't hard. And it's like, they kind of, you know, I'm like, so we went out to prove them wrong, you know. Uh, So they did look at us like we were with them, you know. Um, But you know what? The, The talent that we have, you know, that we had in Mount Vernon, um, it wasn't nobody gonna, gonna gonna shut us down, you know. We could do it just as good as you do it, just as hard, you know. So you know, we had to earn our stripes, and we did. You hear that? Your dog knows. Spring is coming sooner than you think. But the warmer weather also means that fleas and ticks are coming back. Fleas are an itchy nuisance and can easily get into your home, furniture, and beds, which can be terrible. Ticks are even worse. They're hard to spot but can carry disease and get your dog really sick. PetMed's pharmacists connect directly with your vet to save you time and deliver the best flea and tick products for your pet. PetMeds offers low prices on all flea and tick meds, including Nexgard, Simperica, and more. Visit PetMeds.com and use promo code PODCAST to save 40% on your first auto ship order. That's PetMeds.com promo code PODCAST for 40% off your first auto ship order. <laughs> Another character we followed in this series was Guy's manager, Gene Griffin. What do you remember about him? Carl, I only, I only met him once or twice. Uh, from what I remember, he was family of, with Teddy, Teddy Riley. And when Teddy's career started to take off, 
Teddy wanted representation who was just for him. And um, that's how Gene Griffin came into the picture. And Gene was going to make sure his family was taken care of and his investments um, were going to be taken care of. And he he did it the way he had to do it. It was a little, little different than what we were used to. We were all new. But this was the old school music industry. And, um, you know, he, he, he definitely let you know that he was there to do business. I can't talk bad because I don't, I didn't really know him. I just knew his reputation and, um, he, he did business, you know, the, the old school way. I, I'll just, I could just leave it at that. And, um, you didn't want to cross him. Okay. Well, know. following up. following up on the series we told the story of how at one point gene literally smacked andre harrell around during a meeting at mca records and you kind of witnessed the aftermath at uptown offices in brooklyn so tell us about that wow okay well oh we went there (laughs) i see you do your homework caller yes um you know, I, I went. I had to go down to the Brooklyn office, and that's where the Uptown management was. And I think Andre was still living there. And I went down there, and I just got my little brand new car to show off. And I went down there, and the office, the Brooklyn office, was usually like a club. I mean, there was just so much energy. You know, we're rocking in there, and it it was quiet in there. And I'm like, what? What's going on? And um, I think it was uh, the general manager, Bob Celestin, said, you know, we had a little incident here. And he told me what happened. And I think it was, you know, some details of Guy and, you know, and they weren't happy with something. And, um, you know, Gene made it physical, you know. And, And then I'm like, what, are you kidding me? And then I see Andre walk through the hall. And, you know, and this is typical Andre, you know, he's not smiling, but he's always smiling. And he looks at my car, goes, yo, nice car, man, nice car, and keeps going. I'm like, okay, well, I don't know what to ask him, but you could tell that something shook up the office. And um, it was some business, and two people handled business a little differently than the other, and something physical did happen, yes. So one, once you realize what had happened, were you shocked, impressed, afraid? <laughs> Ooh, wow. Definitely not impressed. I thought, again, we're, we're all kids. We, you know, one lesson we learned early is that there, there's something for all of us here. Like, all of us are winning at this company. So we don't ever have to take from someone or, you know, beat someone up because we go all get ours. And um, I was a little, I was shocked. Mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, this is a, a a business where, you know, we didn't make the money yet, but th- this is a big dollar business. I'm like, really? That's what we do that, you know? And, um, and these are people who are close. I was, I was surprised, Carl. I, I didn't know that was now again that was just me being naive but it i didn't know that this happened in the industry right you're like wait are we are we in the godfather movie (laughs) (laughs) what just happened it 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 really and that's as i said this was you know this was when things were taken off for the company so all the artists were working you know if they weren't making you know records they were on tour every so it's like so what could be that bad that would make People want to come to blows. I didn't understand. Um, but I quickly did understand that it's all about posturing also. And, you know, which goes on today in the game that we're in, in this entertainment game we're in now. It's all about posturing. And someone just showed, wanted to show someone, I'm going to be in control. And that's what happened. So after In Effect Mode in 1988, Yes. Guy's debut album comes out. Bobby Brown's My Prerogative comes out. Suddenly, this new Jack sound is everywhere. That's right. When did you That's first right. realize you were part of something that was becoming, like, huge? You know, 
Carla, I'm, you know, we're all music fans. You know, all of us creative people, we're, we get into the industry because we're music fans. And these artists that you saw in high school or you bought their records or you learned their dances, now Andre Harrell is telling Al, we sure, you're about to go on tour with these guys. You're like, wait, what? Who? What? We're going on tour with New Edition and Bobby Brown? Are you kidding me? And that's when you realized that this is this is real. And then Carla, when you know you you know in the, every market they have the countdowns of the hottest records, and you hear your you know your Bobby Brown and your you know Keith Sweat records, and then at the top of the chart you hear your record. You know, you hear night and day and you're like, oh, my God, <laughs> that's when you realize that you have just arrived. OK, were you like, bye, college, bye, sports. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Carla, every time, let me tell you, and now again, now I was a temperamental kind of guy. I want things my way. And if I don't, I used to jump up and down. So whenever something didn't go my way, you know, Andre, I want to Andre, blah, 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 blah. I would always threaten. I'm going back to college. I'm done with this. I'm going back. <laughs> and then there was one day Andre said, no, you ain't. You're one of the top producers in this industry. You're not going anywhere. <laughs> and I said, oh, he's right. He's right. He called so, your bluff. He sure did. <laughs> so that, it, it again, call it, it happened so fast. I think, you know, you can't tell someone Today, I mean, I was just listening to Lizzo saying, look, it took me 10 years to get where I am, you know, and for us, it was maybe 18 months. And that just shows that God is good. And, um, you know, just everything went well at that time. And um, all of a sudden, you know, you're leaving college and you're about to go on a 60 city tour, you know, and um, uh, it just doesn't happen like that, you know, but it did. So in the series, we dramatize guys' big kind of coming out live performance at the Apollo in October 1988. Al B. Shore was an opening act on that bill, and you were there. Yes. What do yes. you remember about Al's performance that night? His first night on the tour? Mm -hmm. Now, I wasn't there for all the shows, but I do remember... That those early shows where, yes, he was the opener. Uh, no, he was not opening. See, Al, Bobby Brown was opening. Okay. And Al was came on before, uh, right before New Edition. And um, he Al learned the stage off the, just, he just had to learn quick. It was like there was no warming up. You know, he didn't go rehearse. It was like, dude, you're on tour. Get up on that stage. And he was another one. He, his confidence is what won him over. You know, the songs, yes, you know, he, he's a showman. And he just would make women just swoon. I mean, he just opened his mouth and moved around a little bit. <laughs> and he commanded the performance. And um, it, it just, it, that went on for the whole year of 88. Every way, every performance. And that's, he knew, okay, look, I'm not Luther. I'm not going to sing you to death, but my songs are strong and my presence on the stage is going to, is going to win you over. And he learned that that night, you know, every night on that tour, then when he would come off and, and new edition came on, these were kids also who've been on the stage for like almost 10 years already. And he saw how they worked it and he learned from watching them every night. And that's what made Al be sure who to, to this day, I don't know if he performs a lot as much now, but he is a great performer. That's where he learned it. Oh, I, I've seen him. I mean, I may have been one of those ladies screaming, but I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, he gets up there and he looks at that lady's eyes and she's like, oh my God, he's just talking to me. Forget the other thousands of us out there. Um, but back to that, uh, back to that performance at Apollo. Barry Michael Cooper talked on the show about seeing this crazy kind of impromptu car show outside the Apollo with players yes. cruising past the Apollo, blasting Teddy Riley tunes. Do you remember that? Oh yes, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> you you know, Carla. It just again, um, 
you know, there's always excitement here in New York City and in, in, in Harlem. But just at that time, it was a youth movement. It it was all about the hood. It was the hood was cool now. You know, I mean, you know, the white brothers and sisters downtown and in the Bronx, they wanted to be a part of this. And now it took on, Harlem took on another life. And it wasn't about the old school, you know, with the, you know, the, the Frank Lucases and everybody, you know. Now it's about the kids who were putting their stamp on the culture now. And we everybody had to show out and represent. And um, that was one of the first events, you know, where it's like, it's, this is our time now. This is how we're going to do it. And we still do it that way. Well, they do it. I, 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 I'm not that young <laughs> anymore. But I'm 56. That's how okay. we st- <laughs> so... That's how we do it, you know, and that was uh, that was the beginning of that that subculture of that youth movement. But when do you think New Jack started fading out, and why do you think that is? Oh wow, um, things just you know, the, even the clothing, the hairstyles, everything was going back to the like the seventies, and um, you know, a lot of the samples we were using. Your music kind of slowed down and got a little bit more conscious than it was in with the New Jack records, and more artists came out that were more natural and organic. And New Jack swing was not that, you know. Was it New Jack was so you know the 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 speed of the records was all about dance. Now with 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 you know it's starting to slow down a little bit and songwriters and artists want to 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 kind of give you some more brain food you know in the music and um it the two didn't mesh well you know so i mm-hmm. think that's what kind of pushed new jack to the side you know in the in the in the early 90s but that said what do you think the impact of this music is today oh it, it's call it, it's huge mm-hmm. because i mean you know it's huge because that's where it started, you know, before the mid eighties, the, you know, the late eighties, you know, all artists, you know, we, the Luthers and, and, and the Freddie Jacksons and those guys ruled, you know, and they didn't represent the hood across the country, you know, and this is now we're able to say what we want to say in these records and, you know, wear what we want to wear and that started it and then from there to even to this day now these youthful artists you know some of these images are way over the top with you know tattoos on the face and pink dreads but able being able to express yourself in your music with your music it started with new jack swing agreed so so kyle one last thing before we let you go Okay. You went on to produce or write or remix or play on songs for an insane range of acts <laughs> from the New Jack girl group, the Gyras, to PM Dawn, <laughs> to yeah. Rod Stewart, to Al Green. But I saw you and Al B. Sure credited on a 2012 song by ZZ Top. Okay, dude, <laughs> what's the story? Wow, that's, Colin, that's a good one. That is a good one. <laughs> Okay. Um, let me see. When we did Night and Day, this look, Night and Day just has like a nine thousand lives. Forget nine lives, nine thousand lives. <laughs> and I and God, God has 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 just blessed us with this. And there was a rap group in Houston, Texas. This is a good story in Houston, Texas, and they they rapped over Night and Day, and they they met untimely passings and they worked in the same studio as ZZ Top so this is a be- this is beautiful ZZ Top for these hip hop artists they said why don't we use their record to help make some money for their families mm. ZZ Top didn't know that there was someone involved on that record before them so they they put out their record, uh, ZZ Top, and you know what? They shared credit with, with everybody. But um, but the record was special enough for ZZ Top to go, 
look, let we're gonna do that. We're gonna do that, you know, for the rappers family and um, whoever's involved. You on there too. So, uh, by the grace of God, we got a credit with ZZ Top. Wow, wow. Yes, yes. Well, Kyle West, you have come a long way. And I don't want to say I'm glad you didn't go back to college, but I am so <laughs> glad that you followed your path and your genius. Carla, thank you so much. You know, I really, I, I appreciate you giving me some time and talking to me. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for joining us. From Wondery and Universal Music Group, this is a special episode of Jacked. If you want to help us spread the word, please give us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Wondery app, or wherever you're listening right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app to binge ad-free. If you have a tip about a story you think we should investigate, Email us at tips at wondery.com. That's tips at wondery.com. I'm Carla Hall. This episode was produced by Megan Monaco, Chris Siegel, and Rico Galliano. Sound design by Sergio Enriquez. Jack was hosted and produced by Taraji P. Henson. Andy Herman and Rico Galliano wrote and produced the series. Consulting creative producer is Timmy Gatling. Associate producer is Melissa Duenez. Additional production assistance throughout this series from Tracy Egbus and Daniel Gonzalez. Consulting producer is Barry Michael Cooper. Managing producer is Lutha Pandia. Executive produced by Barrick Moffitt and Daniel Seliger for UMG. Executive producers are George Lavender, Marshall Louie, and Hernan Lopez for Wondering. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Jacked ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Hey, grown-ups! The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his Fishbowl podcast studio from the Cat in the Hat himself. And it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast. And those plans are the opposite of quiet. Sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at Titanic tongue twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast early and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Wondery Kids Plus on Apple Podcasts today.